Caleb, thank you so much for that really warm welcome. And um, Nikki and I want to say we are so happy to be here at TGC. We love TGC. We first came to a TGC congregation about seven years ago to the Upper East Side when our son and daughter-in-law, actually without children, um, started going there. And we just felt so immediately at home, welcome, part of the family. And then... Our um, kids had their first child, and they moved to Brooklyn, and they joined Park Slope, and then we started coming to Park Slope, and now they have four children, and we live in London, so you are their family, and they feel that, and we feel it, and the moment we come here, we feel family, and thank you. We want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts for all that you do to, as a community, um, be the body of Christ, and we're just thrilled to be here this morning. And I'm so glad Caleb said, please laugh at all our jokes, because you may not understand the language at all. Caleb, did you say about if you don't have a green thumb? Did you say green thumb? It's green fingers. It's not green thumb, it's green fingers. It's what we say. Okay, you use your thumbs for gardening, fine. You can see Anyway, there's going to be a lot that's lost in translation. The, the other night, Nikki and I only had one mic between us, and I tell you, that's really set us up for quite a lot of conflict because we were grabbing the mic from each other. Today, So we can be... talk at the same time this morning, it's absolutely fine. Anyway. I am going to sit down in a minute, and he's going to talk, and then he's going to sit down, and I'm going to talk, so it won't be like this the whole way through. Shall I hold on to the microphone? You take the microphone just in case you need it. Sarah and I, as Caleb has said, have been running courses on relationships for many years, and I love it when I come across a story of a really long marriage. Sarah and I have been married for 39 years, and to some of you, that will sound like a long time. However, not long ago, I read an article in the paper about a couple who were celebrating their 80th wedding anniversary. And I thought, oh my goodness, we haven't even got halfway there yet. Anyway, um, this was a, a, an English couple. I, I, actually, I was astonished. Uh, I thought you'd have to be in the Himalayas eating sort of nuts and berries to live long enough because they set a record for the Guinness Book of Records, longest living married couple. And there was an article about uh, interviewing them. Uh, they were called Percy and Florence Arrowsmith. Percy was 105. The time of the interview, Florence was 100. The marriage had been a success. That's what we call a British understatement, <laughs> said Mrs. Arrowsmith, because they still worked hard at it and never retired to bed on a quarrel. Uh, his answer was more concise. He attributed two words to the success of their marriage. Yes, dear. <laughs> Mrs. Arrowsmith continued, it's not been easy but worth every minute, because he's much more than my best friend. He's the love of my life. We don't argue much these days, only when I want to watch the soaps on television, which he hates. We have had our arguments, but we work through them together. We always go to bed as friends and always make up before we go to sleep. Every night, we kiss and hold hands. He can't settle down if I'm not holding his hand. Mr. Arrowsmith nods contentedly, Yes, dear, he says. <laughs> I love stories like that because actually it's quite rare today. 
But it's not just marriages that are breaking down, but relationships more generally. And many people in our culture today are asking the question, how do we build strong and lasting relationships? And as I'm sure you know, the Bible is very practical. It tells us how. And there's one particular passage that we come back to again and again. And I'm going to, we're going to ask Benj, our son, to come forward and to read it to us. Now, it's not just because it's Father's Day, actually, that we're here at all, not just because it's Father's Day that uh, Benj is reading, but it, it is lovely to at least have one of our four children around. It, it's from Colossians chapter 3, from verses 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing, with, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we sit. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of love, the God who loves us, and you show us, Lord, the ways of love. And we pray that this morning you would come to speak to every single one of us, you say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Open our ears to hear your voice today. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to concentrate on, or actually we do, want to concentrate on three words from that reading. And those words are, put on love. And clearly, Paul there is talking about love, not just as our feelings, feeling loving, but rather as something that is a deliberate choice, as deliberately as we might put on a shirt or put on a jacket. Uh, notice as well, if we could have the reading up there once more, please, notice that this is addressed to those who know they are dearly loved. It's God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. We love out of knowing that we are loved by God. Uh, whether or not you knew, knew your real father, whether or not you had a father who loved you, whether or not you're parenting as a couple or parenting on your own, every single one of us has a father in heaven who loves us. You and I are dearly loved right now by God. We want to talk about four very practical points for 
putting on love that will affect all of our relationships, whether we are single or married. They'll affect relationships with our friends, in our family, relationships at work, with our marriage partner, if we are married, with our children, grandchildren, if we have them, or in a dating relationship. And to help you remember, there are four words all begin with the letter P. And I'm going to do two of them, and Silla is going to do two of them. And it may be this morning that there is one of these four Ps that is particularly important for you to remember. Well, the first P is this, be proactive. And I take that from the phrase in verse 12, where Paul says, clothe yourselves with kindness. Kindness. A kind person is someone who knows what another person needs and then puts themselves out to meet that need. I find it so easy to be reactive in our marriage. If you're married, you will know there can be certain things that are either slightly or very irritating about our marriage partner. Uh, You may think that after 39 years of marriage, after running this marriage course in London three times a year for the last 20 years, you may think that we had managed to eliminate every irritating habit that either of us did out of our marriage. But I'm sorry to say if you thought that, it wouldn't be true. We haven't. And I'm going to give you an example, and because I'm the one who is speaking, I'll give you something that Scylla does. (laughs) Occasionally. In our marriage, I am always the first one up in the morning. And the first thing I I do is I get up, I go downstairs, and I make us both a cup of tea to bring back up to Scylla, who is just slowly waking up in bed. If Scylla has wash the dishes the night before. And don't get me wrong, I do my share of washing the dishes. I don't want to suggest this is her job more than mine. But it's if she has uh, washed the dishes, she has this irritating habit of not uh, uh, emptying out the washing up water, you know, not letting out the plug out of the sink. So when I come in down in the morning, there is this cold, now greasy water in the sink. And before I can even fill up the kettle, I have to pull up the sleeves of my dressing gown. I have to put my hand into this cold, greasy... I can feel your sympathy, even as I talk about it. (laughs) And you know, it's worse than that, because she tends to leave the washing up brush. You know, the brush you wash the dishes with in the water. So I'm fishing this out. I'm trying to get some hot water to get the grease off before I can even start to boil the kettle. (laughs) Uh, I have talked to Scylla about it. Uh, (laughs) a number of times over the years and it is true to say I want to give Scylla her due she doesn't do it as often now as when we were first married it's getting better 40 years in 39 years in Uh, now just to um, balance things up a bit uh, I'm aware there are plenty of things I do to irritate Scylla and uh, I asked her recently if she could think of any I'm rather sorry she didn't hesitate she came up with quite a long list (laughs) And right at the top of her list was the fact that I insist on polishing my shoes before we leave the house to go somewhere, even if we are late. Uh, Now, I think that's a perfectly normal thing to do. I think if you're going to show up late, at least if you've got clean shoes, it makes up for it a bit. (laughs) Scylla doesn't quite see it that way. 
relationships break down when all we do is react to each other's behavior. Being proactive is when we focus not on each other's behavior, but on each other's needs. We know a couple called David and Teresa Ferguson, who'd been married for 30 years when we first met them. And I remember David talking about a turning point in their marriage. He said this, For the first 15 years of our marriage, I focused on my needs and Teresa's faults. For the last 15 years, I have focused on Teresa's needs and my faults. And our marriage has been transformed. Now that principle, focusing on the needs, not the behavior of the other person. is true. It's not just in marriage, but in every relationship. It's true for friendships. It's true for family relationships. It's true at work. And the question to ask ourselves is, do I know the needs of my friend, my mother, my husband, my wife? Do I know their needs at an emotional level? When did you last ask them the question, how can I best help you? How can I support you? Uh, On the marriage course, which Caleb mentioned earlier, uh, a very important part, in fact, the most important part of the course is the conversations that the couple have together. And these conversations are always private. There's no group work on the marriage course. And we give each couple, each person a manual, and sometimes they write things down and they exchange their manuals. That helps them in their conversation. And one of the very first exercises we do is we give them a list of 16 needs or desires, all at a sort of emotional level. Things like attention, support, affirmation, affection, comfort, security, or practical help. And then what they do is they choose the three most important for themselves, and then without looking at what their husband or wife has written, they have to guess which are the three most important for their partner. And then when they both finish, then they exchange their manuals to see what each other has written. And this is what one wife, whose husband is called Steve, said after after this session of the course. She said, when we did that exercise, Steve put what was very important to him was affirmation. I was shocked. He'd been a very successful partner in a very large company and had an incredibly successful career. He was an upfront type of person who I didn't think needed a lot of affirmation. And I thought, I don't believe this. I've been married to this person for 22 years, and the one thing he needed, I didn't realize. Being proactive is following the example of Jesus. He didn't come to judge us. He knows our needs, and he gave himself on the cross to meet our greatest need of all. Uh, The Greek word that is translated kindness, clothe yourselves with kindness, appears only three other times in the New Testament. And one of those times is in Titus, where Paul describes the gospel like this. The kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. To clothe ourselves with kindness is to have an outward focus. I, I, I read just recently an article in The Atlantic And uh, it said this, that uh, leaving aside emotional stability, secular research has shown that kindness is the most important predictor of satisfaction and stability in a marriage. Kindness makes 
each partner feel cared for, understood, and validated, makes them feel loved. And he quoted a, a man by the name of Professor John Gottman, who's a psychologist. He is the world's leading expert today on couple relationships. He's been studying the habits of married couples for more than 40 years. And John Gottman says that now he can predict with 94% accuracy whether or not a couple's relationship is going to survive into the long term simply by looking at the way they interact with each other. And he said this, much of it comes down to the spirit couples bring to the relationship. Do they bring kindness and generosity or contempt, criticism and hostility? The first secret to making relationships work is be proactive. Clothe yourselves with kindness. I'm going to hand over to Silla for the next two Ps. So the second P is be patient. Now verse 12 says this, clothe yourselves with patience, bear with one another. Relationships are spoiled through a quick temper. You know, a household or an office just can't relax when you never know when the next explosion is going to come, when the next mood might come, and it's like walking on eggshells. Now, I recognize in myself that my temper is shorter if I am tired, had a lack of sleep, or particularly if I'm under stress. But you know, the one thing above everything else that causes a quick temper is when anger is buried, when anger is unresolved and kept inside. One psychologist and counselor said this, anger held inside becomes hate. The key to patience, the key to this phrase, bearing with one another, comes in the next phrase in verse 13. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Martin Luther King said, Forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a permanent attitude. And that's why in the Lord's Prayer we pray, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I don't know about you. I don't know if you're in the habit of praying the, the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis. I try. I don't always make it, but I try to remember to pray the Lord's Prayer every day because I know it is a good reminder for me. Is there anybody I need to forgive? And it's important for me to reflect on that. Now, of course, that is a challenge Forgiveness, I mean, we're not pretending forgiveness is easy. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is always costly. It's costly not seeking revenge. That's so strong in all of us. And forgiveness means actually giving up. And I, I find this really helpful personally. I think of forgiveness as letting go. So rather than holding it inside, holding on, holding on to the self-pity, our sense of rights, our pride, actually forgiveness means letting it go. And the Bible encourage us, encourages us to put our hurts 
into God's hands, to leave the consequences to him. Whether it is a very small hurt or whether it is a really large hurt. If we don't forgive, we will have that anger buried deep inside us. And that is what causes us to be on a short fuse. And as a result of that, all of our relationships will be affected. I want to tell you about a couple that Nikki and I met um, a number of years ago, a remarkable Christian couple. And they came from Northern Ireland. They were called Gordon and Joan Wilson. And um, they had three grown-up children by the time we got to know them. And I want to just tell you their story. And this is Northern Ireland. And on Remembrance Day in 1987, Gordon and his daughter Marie, who was a nurse in her 20s at that stage, were caught in the IRA bombing during the Cenotaph um, service in a town called Enniskellen. And this bomb went off right by the Cenotaph. And it buried Gordon and his daughter, Marie, in the rubble. And they were under this rubble for five minutes. And after five minutes, they were pulled out by the um, rescue services. And they took them to hospital. And tragically, Marie died in hospital that day. And Gordon Wilson was interviewed by the BBC on that same day. And in the interview, he described his last conversation with his daughter and his feelings towards the people who killed her. And this is what he said. Oh, I need my glasses for this. She held my hand tightly and gripped me as hard as she could. She said, Daddy, I love you very much. Those were her exact words to me, and those were the last words I ever heard her say. To the astonishment of the listeners, Gordon Wilson went on to add this. But I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge. Dirty sort of talk is not going to bring her back to life. She was a great wee lassie. She loved her profession. She was a sweetheart. She's dead. She's in heaven. And we shall meet again. I will pray for these men tonight and every night. And an English historian, looking back on the terrible years of the troubles in Northern Ireland said this, no words in more than 25 years of violence in Northern Ireland had such a powerful emotional impact. And Gordon Wilson went on to become a very key part of the peacekeeping process in Northern Ireland for the whole of the rest of his life, and particularly helping Catholics and Protestants to live together and learn to love one another. And in particularly the community of Enniskellen, where he and his wife and family lived. St. Paul says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. So the second P is be patient. The third P is be positive. Now, we all of us know that negative people are hard to be around. Uh, The psychiatrist, Dr. Anthony Clare, said, having people around you who make you feel good is the first step in human happiness. As 
as Christians, whatever our situation, we all have so much to be thankful for. And it's so obvious in this passage. Three times in three verses, Paul says, be positive about what you have. Verse 15, he says, and be thankful. Verse 16, he says, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And when we cultivate a positive, grateful attitude, it affects all of our relationships in a positive way. Positive people are encouraging people. They look for the best in others. Um, I think some of you may have heard of somebody called Nikki Gumbel. Um, Caleb mentioned um, Alpha earlier on, which came from our church, HDB. And Nikki Gumbel is the vicar. That's the senior pastor in the Anglican church. He is vicar of HTB. But he has been um, my husband's. They're both called Nikki, which is deeply confusing. Um, <laughs> he's been my Nikki's best friend since they were at school together. Then they ended up at university together. And we all actually were converted at university together. And we've been best friends for over 42 years now. Nikki is probably the most positive and encouraging person that we know. And we, as we reflect with this passage and the being thankful and being positive. As we reflect, Nikki and I have realized that I don't think we would have done half of what we have done in terms of seeing the courses, the marriage courses, parenting courses, developing and doing what's, what's happened without Nikki Gumbel's encouragement. We, we've also um, um, wrote, written a book called The Marriage Book, and it took us three years to write, and uh, we were writing it together, which is not a great recipe for um, getting it done quickly. You, you try writing a book together. That's about the hardest test for any marriage that you can come across. And I honestly don't think we would have finished it if Nikki yeah. Gumbel had not encouraged us to go on and do it. And the thing is, we all need courage to do the things that God is calling us to do. And actually, encouragement from another person can be the turning point to keep us going towards whatever it is that God has called us. And we certainly feel that with Nikki Gumbel. Being positive is so important. And it's important in all of our relationships, including parenting. And it's interesting that it's Father's Day today. I'm going to tell you a story, um, actually, that refers to uh, mothering. Um, and it's about one of our sons. It is not about Benj, you'll be pleased to hear. It's about another of our sons called Barney, who's next down from Benj. We have four uh, grown-up children. We have a daughter and three sons. And this is about Barney, who's the middle son. And um, he knows I'm telling this story, so it's fine. Um, and when he was 14, his and my relationship was not going very well. In fact, it was, we're very similar. We did a lot of clashing. And um, I was sort of really struggling with this and thinking, what is wrong with him? And I suddenly realized that actually the problem was with me. And that came about because um, one day Barney suddenly said to me, Mom, why are you always so stressed with me? And that really brought me up short. 
And I realized that actually I was sounding pretty much stressed with him all of the time. And I had to, well, we had a very good conversation right there and then about that. And he helped me to see that that was the case. But as I reflected, I realized a lot of my stress was because I was anxious and worried about what he was up to, where he was, what he was doing. And that came out in me being very negative. And I, I, I realized I was very critical towards him. You know, he'd come through the door and I'd be on his back and my voice would rise and I'd get stressed and the whole thing. Anyway, we had this really great conversation and I said to him, okay, I'm going to give you permission to tell me when I'm sounding stressed. And you know, that really was a game changer because it helped me to recognize where I needed to change. I didn't even realize I was doing it. And actually, it was difficult. It was really hard for me to to swap from this stressing, critical thing to being positive. And I had to ask God's help for that. I really did. In my own strength, I don't think I could have done it. I had to keep praying, Lord, help me to see how to be positive. And it's not just the way you speak, it's the words you speak and when you speak it. And it made a massive difference to our relationship. And I can uh, um, honestly say we are fine now. (laughs) He's 30. Um, There is an exercise we get couples to do on uh, another exercise on the marriage course called showing appreciation. And we get couples to write down six things that they appreciate about their husband or wife. And it's a wonderful exercise. And we, we, we um, say, after you've written it down, um, swap your, um, your workbooks and look at what the other one's written. And we love the body language when we see couples doing that because often they are reading things that they have never heard their partner say to them before. And Nikki and I know this in our own relationship, that the more we express appreciation to each other, the more appreciative we become of each other. It's a very um, virtuous circle. So that's the third P. Don't, don't tell them. I'm going to see if oh. they can remember, my darling. Okay. See how you're getting on. Before we go on to the last P, what was the first one? Be proactive. Second one was be patient. Well done. Third one, be. And the fourth P is be peaceful. And I take this from where Paul says, uh, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We are to be full of God's peace. And it's interesting, that comes just after put on love. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You see, when we're at peace on the inside, we can be at peace on the outside. It's when we know that we are loved by God, we're able to love others. I want to tell you a story about a couple called Billy and Debbie. And uh, this couple were in their 30s. They too actually came from Northern Ireland, although that's a coincidence. They'd been married for eight years. They had no church involvement at all. When Billy's dad died, he made a, a conscious decision to harden himself and not let himself get close to anybody because he didn't want to be hurt like that again. Became bad-tempered and, and not much fun to be around. And then when Debbie's mother died, and Debbie was very upset, Billy said that Debbie hadn't been much help to him when his parents died, so why should he really be of any help to her? And instead, 
he started blaming her and that their marriage was falling apart. They went on a romantic weekend to Paris to try to rekindle their love. And they, they said they still loved each other, but they couldn't talk to each other. And Debbie said this, our relationship was coming to an end. Everything was just going rapidly downhill. And I couldn't fix it, and neither could Billy. And it was at that point they met some Christians called Peter and Beryl. And Peter and Beryl invited them to come to do Alpha in their home. And uh, Billy and Ed described how there were about 10 or 12 people. They, uh, Peter said after they'd had a meal, they were going to watch a talk on the TV, which Debbie said she thought sounded really boring. But she said, actually, it wasn't. It was really interesting. And both of them got more and more excited as the weeks went on. And it was back home after the third week of Alpha, by which time Debbie had already committed her life to Christ. Billy sat on his bed and he said this to God, Lord, I've lived in this world for 32 years without you and I've just heard about you for the first time. I'm so, so sorry for all the things I've done wrong. I need you in my life. And then he described what happened. He said, as the weeks went on, I started to forgive everyone who'd ever hurt me in my life. And I felt the bitterness being lifted from my heart. Debbie said, after that, our marriage began to mend big time. It felt like we just started all over again and all those years before were just nothing. I felt like I hadn't lived. I felt like I was opening my eyes for the very first time, seeing everything new and fresh. As for Billy, he was like a new person more loving, caring. I fell in love with him all over again. And then Billy concluded like this, what God has done in my life is amazing. I was the most ungentle person you've ever met and God has come into my life and turned it around. Patience wasn't a virtue for me. I didn't have it. But now I find I rarely get angry. I don't raise my voice. I couldn't possibly have made that much of a change in myself on my own. There is only one person responsible, Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> and I don't think Billy knew it at the time, but that's a pretty good summary of what Paul writes to the Colossians. Paul writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let God's word shape all of your relationships. And the early church grew rapidly because people were so attracted by the quality of the relationships that they saw amongst the Christians as they saw them being proactive in kindness. As they saw them being patient with forgiveness. As they saw them being positive in appreciating others, in encouraging each other. As they saw them being peaceful in knowing the love of God filling them. Put on love, writes St. Paul, today and every day. Let's stand and we're going to pray together before uh, we take the bread and the wine together. And you know, I, I can't think of a better moment to take the bread and the wine to remember that this all started with Jesus' love poured out for us.
I'd love us to take a few minutes just to pray that God, by his Holy Spirit, will come to, to cause his word to dwell in our hearts, to speak to us. And it may be one of those four Ps in particular that God has been speaking to you about this morning. And this is a moment where we can respond to him in prayer, speaking to God. Our Lord, we thank you that you are here amongst us. Thank you, Lord, that you give your Holy Spirit to all those who ask you. And we ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Come and fill our hearts, Lord, with your love by your Spirit. Now let's wait. Jesus promises that God loves to give his Spirit to all those who ask him. Let's wait. Let's dare to believe that right now, He's here by his spirit. Some of you are aware of his presence filling your hearts right now. Some of you are aware of God speaking to you in a still, small voice, whispering in your mind something that he wants to say to you. Receive his word today. I feel I feel that there um, may be just one person here today, but maybe more, who feel a kind of um, coldness inside. They don't feel warm. They don't feel the peace. They don't feel the love. They don't feel they are loved. Or there's some part that has kind of been shut away that is like a kind of cold part inside them. And I felt that that um, passage that Paul is talking about, he, he talks about it as putting on, like we put on clothes. Put on love. And I, I felt God say he wants, if that's you, that you feel there's a part of you that is is shut away and has never never been kind of open to the love of God, that he wants you just to put him on. Now, as Nikki has said, the Holy Spirit is here, and he wants you just to put himself on like a jacket. And I think that simply means saying thank you. And that's what we're going to do as we come and take communion. Thank you, Jesus, that you have died for me because you love me so much. And you have broken the power of anything, any sin, any um, stuff that is dark, that is cold, that is not of God. And that power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work now for you to set you free to know the love of God. And my encouragement is just put on his love. He's calling you. God's calling you to just let this part of your life go and 
just put on his love and allow his love to touch you to this deepest part of your being that may never have sort of known and been exposed to his love, his saving grace and love. And I believe there are some people, when I talked about Billy forgiving everyone who'd ever hurt him, you were aware of the need to forgive. Maybe someone, maybe a number of people. And before we take communion, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Paul says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And it can help to imagine the person who has hurt you is standing just in front of you. Imagine him or her in your mind's eye. And to say to that person or or to those people, say their name again just silently. So you address them, you, you did this or did that or didn't do this or didn't do that. But today, I choose to forgive you. I won't hold that against you. Lord, give us grace to forgive. Your grace, Lord. Enable each person here to forgive those who have hurt them. Now just ask the Lord to, for love for that person who's hurt you. Maybe you could pray for them. Again, just silently. And we pray, Lord, that by your grace, you would deal with any anger that is buried, any hurt may go way back, you would bring your healing love today. Fill us, Lord, for Jesus' sake.